morning, good morning, good morning, church family. It's good to see you here today. I trust and hope that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving break, and uh, I know many of us are gearing up for the end of a semester, and I pray God's grace on you here uh, this morning. Uh, my name is Dan Min, and I have the joy of serving as the pastor here at ACF, and uh, it is, it is uh, my absolute joy to, to open up God's Word with you here today. Uh, as you heard already, it so happens to be that this Sunday is our last Sunday service here in the Hub for this semester. It's, it's, it's not like we're going anywhere. We're going to pick back up, as you heard in the announcements, uh, next semester uh, on January 16th. So after the first full week of classes, we'll be back here in the Hub here in Freeman uh, Worshiping, uh, picking up in spring semester. But uh, because this is our last service together for this semester, this really becomes our one and only opportunity to celebrate Christmas here as a church family. Uh, I almost wish we had uh, candles to pass around as we were singing Silent Night just a few moments ago. I feel like that, that would be uh, appropriate, but... Penn State rules, blah, 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 so we can't do that. But, but this is really our only opportunity on a Sunday morning to remember and celebrate Christ's birth as a church family here. And so today, we're going to talk about Christmas. Yay, Christmas. I love Christmas, uh, particularly Christmas music. How many Christmas music fans out there? Any, any, uh, how many of you would say, yeah, Christmas music is fair game any day of the year? Anyone like, oh, a couple of you, a bunch of you, okay, good for you. Hey, no judgment, you know, people stop glaring at them, you know, that's it. You can listen to Christmas music anytime you want, however, however you please. But, um, and I love, I love me some Bing Crosby, some Andy Williams, and Nat King Cole. I love me, I love me some Mariah, I love me some Beads, I love me some Michael Buble, I love it all. I love Christmas music, all of it. In fact, I wonder what your favorite Christmas song this season might be. In fact, if a song comes to mind, I want you to turn to a neighbor and share with them your favorite Christmas song. Now, it could be a Christmas classic like, you know, White Christmas or Jingle Bells or, you know, Winter Wonderland, or it could be a Christmas hymn like, you know, Silent Night, the, the First Noel, Joy to the World, but, but whatever, you think about it. What's your favorite Christmas song, okay? And if you have a particular version, okay, maybe some artist does it this way, you, you, you prefer that version, go ahead and mention that as well. So take like 15 seconds and turn to a friend and tell them your favorite Christmas song. Go ahead and do that now. Christmas music in the Bible. 
a particular song that was sung during the very first Christmas season. Now, you're not going to hear it on the radios today. You're not going to hear, you're not going to find it on a Spotify playlist. But nonetheless, this is a Christmas song that was sung during that very first Christmas season. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in the Gospel account of Luke, Luke chapter 2, and uh, we're going to start at verse 8. If you don't have a Bible, you, you can refer to the handout you received on your way in, or you can look at the screen behind me, and uh, we'll have the text displayed up here as well. Luke chapter 2 is where we are. We're going to pick up in verse 8 and carry it through to about verse 20 or so. And um, we'll love to just spend uh, just a few moments here this morning in our time unpacking Christmas music, the song of the angels. Pick me up in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what it says. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, which was a very common response for those who encountered angelic appearances of kinds in Scripture. In verse 10, it goes on, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Now, now just pause here for just a quick second. I want you to catch the vibe here before we move on. Now just kind of, kind of get what's happening here. It says, basically, it says all of a sudden a bunch of angels appear. Okay, that's, that's basically what this text is saying. Now, I don't know how all of this went down. I don't know if all of a sudden a whole host of angels descended upon that shepherd's field from heaven above. I don't know if one appeared and then two appeared and then boom, a whole gang of angels that appeared. I don't know how it went down, but I can only imagine if the shepherds were taken back in fear by one angel, what do you think the response might have been to a multitude, a host of angels? I can only imagine the sheer terror that struck that field on that night. Now, that has nothing to do with today's message. I just find that interesting. I just find that as an interesting point of reference. But what's even more interesting to me here is what the angels proceed to do when they, show, when they appear, when they show up on this field. They begin to sing a song. And the text says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, verse 14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, it's not a terribly long song, but it's a song nonetheless. They sing a song, and then they go away. Verse 15 says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Today, I want to spend uh, the bulk of our time in verse 14. We're going to come back to that verse, the angel song, in just a moment. But I don't know if you've ever picked up on this. But, but when you read through the Gospel of Luke, in this particular account of Christ's birth, in, in Luke's account, 
The nativity story is actually surrounded by Christmas music, if you will. The nativity story, the birth story of Jesus in the gospel account of Luke is surrounded by songs or kinds of songs. For instance, you've got Mary's song in Luke chapter 1, which is also famously known as the Magnificat, which Mary praises God in song. Shortly thereafter, you come to Zechariah's prophetic song. Now, it may or may not have had music attached to it or composed with it, but it's certainly written in a poetic song-like fashion. In chapter 2, in this chapter, you've got the angels singing songs of praise to God, which then in turn leads the shepherds to run off praising and worshiping God and offering their songs of praise to God. Later on in, in this chapter, in chapter 2, you find Simeon and Anna offering their praise to God and singing songs of praise to God in their own ways. There are songs surrounding the birth narrative of Jesus, so much so that it's almost as if the nativity story has its own Christmas soundtrack. The, the, the nativity story, according to the Gospel of Luke, almost has its own sort of soundtrack, that the birth of Jesus carries with it its own soundtrack. Now, isn't it true, friends, that some of the best stories in our time have some of the best soundtracks? Right? When you think about some of the soundtracks that, that play out in the big screen in the, in, in the film world, right? Like we, we think, man, this is – in fact, I want to give you some examples here this morning. I want to play just a, a short little snippet of some soundtracks, and I want you to tell me where it's from. For all you movie buffs, I have, I have no doubt you're going to get this. I, I tried you know, just, just giving you some lobbing, some softballs here. And so this first one is a, should be a give me. And so if we can just go ahead and play that first clip here. Right, on the count of three, say it with me. What movie is that from? One, two, three. Star Wars, that's right. I mean, that's so easy. I just, it's, again, just starting it off real easy. I know you guys have finals coming up. You're anxious about that. You don't need to be anxious about this. This is easy. Okay, I'm going to give you some easy ones here. Now, being from the great state of Pennsylvania, you should know this one. Let's go ahead and play this next one. just for fun. Go ahead and play this last clip here. Soundtracks point us to a larger story. 
Right? When you hear these songs, you, you're immediately transported uh, you know, to, to these massive stories, these big stories that, that have shaped our culture, that have shaped our narrative. These songs lead us to a much larger story. Now, these songs in and of themselves might be good, they might be average, but because it points to a much larger story, these songs all of a sudden take on new meaning. These songs that have been composed become more than just notes on a page. They strike at the core of who we are. You see, the song that the angel sings in today's passage, friends, is a simple one, but it points us to a much larger story. It points us to a much bigger story. Uh, there may have been more words that were sung that weren't recorded for whatever reason. Maybe there was another verse or a bridge thrown in there. I don't know. But for now, these are the words that we have that the angels sung. But, and what I do know is this. The song of the angels in Luke chapter 2 points us to a bigger story. Now, we only have two lines that we're going to look at. Two lines of the angel songs. But I think each of these lines points us to something bigger. It points us to something greatly significant that has implications for your life and mine here today. And the first thing is this. The angel song points us to the glory of God. The angel song points us to the glory of God. The first thing that the multitude of angels say when they show up in verse 14 is glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Now, I don't know about you, friends, but if I were one of the angels, if I were the, one of the, in that sort of angel gang that showed up, after giving the shepherds this incredible news of the birth of our Savior, right? You've got to put yourself in that context. The angel just got done telling them, I bring you good news of great joy for unto you was born this day, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And you'll find a rap lying in a manger. I mean, that's amazing news. This Messiah that you've been waiting for years upon years and centuries upon centuries, he's finally here. My first words in that moment, I don't think would be glory to God in the heights. Rather, I might say something to the effect of, come on now, shepherds, go to the manger, go to where I told you, I'll give you the GPS coordinates, just go, get, get, let's, he is here, he's here, move on, heck, I'll even show you the way, they could have started off their song in any way, he's here, he's here, go, 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 you know, right, like, go tell it on the mountain, he's finally here, but their opening refrain is none of that, it's not good news, I bring you good news of great joy, the Messiah is finally here, now go, their opening refrain is glory to God in the highest. They start with worship. They start with the glory of God. Friends, isn't it true that the way a song starts often tells you where the song is going? Right? Oftentimes, the way a song starts often tells you where it's going. For instance, if, you, if you're listening to a song and you come in with a stick count, you know, you, you know that this, this song is going to build. I mean, the drum fill drops and it comes in and all of a sudden this, this song becomes a high energy song and it takes you to the, through this journey, through the song. Maybe you're listening to a song and the song starts with a soft ambient note. You know, it just kind of rings out. And, and you know that song is going to be more reflective and ethereal and, and it's going to be contemplative. You know, when, when you hear the opening trumpet line of the Rocky song, bop, 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 you know, you, you just see Rocky punching slabs of meat. 
saved. That's just immediately you're transported to that place. The way a song starts often tells you where that song is going. And I got to thinking, friends, I wonder how the song of my life would start. If my life had a soundtrack, if my life had a song attached to it, I wonder how that song might start. If there was a song that was indicative of my life, where, where my life was headed, what my life was about, how might that song begin? Would the opening refrain of my life be, glory to God in the highest? When the opening line of the song of my life strikes its first note, will people know, will it be evident that my life is about the glory of God? In other words, is the glory of God the starting point for the sum of my life? Is the glory of God, the glory of God, is it the starting point for the whole, the sum of my life? After all, isn't that what this whole season is about in the first place? If the birth of Jesus doesn't cause us to behold the glory of God, friends, I'm afraid we may have missed something profound about the Christmas season. If we look upon Jesus and we fail to see and behold the glory of God, what exactly is it that we're seeing and beholding? Paul puts it this way in Colossians 1. He says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. In other words, if you want to know who this invisible God is, the God of the Christian faith, the God of this faith that we subscribe to, if you want to get a sense of the nature of this invisible God, look to Jesus. Behold Jesus. Because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is God with skin on. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. That includes you and me. Friends, we were created for the glory of God. We exist for the glory of God. The Westminster Catechism put it this way. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so I ask you today, is the starting point of your life the glory of God? Now, now what in the world does that mean? For, for those of you who have no church background, you're, you, you know, you're coming to this text maybe for the first time. You're, you're asking yourself, that sounds good, but I don't really understand what you mean by, is my life about the glory of God? What does it mean to make my life about the glory of God? In a lot of ways, that can be a whole other sermon in and of itself. But let me just, let me offer up this one brief thought before I move on to the next point here. To put it very simply, I would steal the words from John the Baptist in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, John the Baptist, as he prepares the way for Jesus, this is what he says. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, and I must decrease. You want to make your life about the glory of God? Listen to what John says. Listen to how he perceives this. He must increase, and I must decrease. He must become greater, I must become less. Jesus, more of you and less of me. Church family, when we make our lives about the glory of God, hear me now, we become far more concerned with God's agenda than our own. When we, become, when we make our lives about the glory of God, we become far more preoccupied with God's plans, far more than our own. God, you increase while I decrease. God, you become greater in my life as I progressively become less. More of you and less of me. 
That's what happens when you make your life about the glory of God. Now, the angels don't stop their song there. The song continues on into the second line. Glory to God in the highest. Now listen to what it says. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The second thing that the angel song points us to is not only the glory of God, but the peace of God. The angel song points us to not only the glory of God, but also the peace of God. Some of your translations might sound a little bit different here. Maybe a more common translation of this particular line might read, and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. You know, you've heard that before. In fact, it's woven into some of our Christmas songs that we hear during the season. And I think a lot of us, what we tend to do is we take that line and we superimpose it upon our society and on our culture and our world, especially during this time of year. And we say, during this Christmas season, let's be sure to live peaceably amongst one another. Right? Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Right? The Christmas season is about living in peace and harmony with one another. Right? Let's express and show goodwill toward fellow men. And I, I think that's great. I have no problems with that. In fact, in many ways... That's a biblical way to live. It's a biblical way, a scriptural, grounded way to, to pursue peace and unity, right, amongst the brethren. That is entirely biblical. So I'm not trying to speak against that. But I can't help but wonder, is that what the angels meant when they sang peace on earth and goodwill to men? Peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased? Because if you go back just a couple of verses to the first angelic conversation with the shepherds, you'll, know that, you'll notice, you'll remember that their message was one of good news of great joy, right? That's verse 10. It says, I bring the good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, I suppose things like unity and peace in our world would be qualitatively good news of great joy, right? I, I'm not arguing that. You know, peace and, and harmony in our world would be a good thing. But again, is that what the angels were referred to? Is that what this particular angel was referred to? Because the angel seems to go on and describe this good news as a child being born who would become the savior of the world. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day. Here is this good news of great joy that I'm bringing to you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In a mirroring account in the Gospel of Matthew, we find another angel, uh, angelic appearance come to Joseph in a dream. And the angels, I mean, you, you see this time and time again. This, these angelic appearances show up particularly around the birth of Jesus. This angel appears to Joseph in a dream. And, and here in, in the Gospel account of Matthew, it says, she, she being Mary, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, could it be, friends, that the reason for Christ's arrival wasn't primarily for peace amongst us? Could it be that the, the, the primary purpose for Christ's arrival was, was not to necessarily Express goodwill toward fellow man for man to express goodwill toward fellow man. But rather, that God, out of his rich mercy and everlasting love for us, he has offered to us a peace like none other. That he, as our good father, has expressed the ultimate form of goodwill from him to us, to all men, through the 
giving of his son, Jesus. You see, I believe that the angels were talking about here a kind of peace that you and I cannot produce on our own. I don't think the angels were saying, okay, now go and live in peace amongst one another. I think the good news of the angel was a peace like none other is coming to you. I'm not look, God is not looking for you to produce peace and to offer peace one to another. That's going to come. But first and foremost, the coming of Jesus does not mean that now you are to live in peace with one another. The coming of Jesus means that peace has come to you. Peace has entered into the world. You see, the whole Christmas story is about a God who makes peace on earth by stepping into humanity. To do for humanity what humanity can never do for itself. He offers us an otherworldly kind of peace, an eternal peace, a supernatural peace, a transcendent peace. Now, we go searching for that peace. Believe it or not, friends, we go searching for that peace all over the place, all the time. We go searching for that peace, trying to look for it in other places, in other people, in different relationships, and different spheres of influence in our lives, and different worldly pursuits, and all of these things. We look for that peace, but the good news of Christmas, the good news of the season, is that peace has come to us. And you don't need to go looking for that peace, but that peace has come to us. In the name of the Prince of Peace, in the name of Emmanuel, we just sang it a few moments ago, in the name of God with us, peace has come to us. And interestingly enough, when we fully get our heads wrapped around that, when we fully embrace that truth, that peace has come to us. That God, out of his abundant love and his grace and mercy, has offered me a kind of peace like none other. A peace that I can't find anywhere else in this world, but the kind of peace that only the Prince of Peace can offer to me. When we get our minds wrapped around that reality, our song then very naturally becomes glory to God in the highest. You get that? When we understand that God offers us to a peace and we begin to walk in that peace... Your life becomes about the glory of God. Your life becomes about more of you and less of me. When you realize that you become a recipient of God's most everlasting, abounding peace, there's no way that you're going to live your life saying more of me and less of you, God. There's no way you're going to live your life like that. See, when the, the, the natural byproduct of someone who has become a recipient of the peace of God, their natural overflow response becomes glory to God. In the highest. Glory to God in the highest becomes a responsive overflow to the peace of God in our lives. And so the Christmas song of the angels says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This morning, as we wrap this message up, I want to offer you one question and one exhortation for you to ponder here this morning. As we bring this message to a close, I want to, I want to leave you just with this one simple question and one simple exhortation. Here's the question first. A question I love for us, for us to ponder today is how can I make my life more about the glory of God? How can I make my life about the glory of God? Of God, I'd love for us to pray into that as we leave here today. How can I live my life in such a way that would bring glory and honor and praise to the name of Jesus? How can I live my life? 
How can I make my choices and decisions? How can I build my relationships? How can I pursue my career and calling? How can I fulfill my responsibilities as a student? How can I, get, how can I lead my life? How can I do all of this in such a way that would testify to the beauty and the wonder of who Jesus is? How can I live my life in such a way that when the first note of the song of my life strikes, people have no doubt what my life is about? When people catch a glimpse, when people catch a whiff of my life, they know because my opening refrain is glory to God in the highest. How can I make my life more about Him and less about me? It would do us well to adopt the prayer. I don't, I don't really know if it was a prayer as much as it was a statement of John the Baptist. More of you and less of me. He must increase, and I, I've got to decrease. This world has a way of flipping that, doesn't it? You got to boost yourself up. You got to prop yourself up. You got to self-promote, self-elevate. You got to be the greatest. The gospel message is completely, radically different. As he becomes greater in my life, what begins to progressively happen is I become less and less. Not that your value is any less, not that you're any less significant, but that the nature of God begins to overshadow your earthly human nature. Now, I don't know about you, there are days when I feel like I'm a pretty good guy. I feel like I've got a good nature. I'm, I'm okay, but even on my best days, I'm no match for the glory of God. <laughs> on your best day, you're no match for the glory of God. The best decision you can make is answering this question. How can I make my life more about the glory of God? And that comes through this one simple exhortation that I want to offer you here this morning. And it's very simply this. Receive his peace. Jesus comes to us as the Prince of Peace. God offers to us a peace like none other. And the invitation to you, friends, here this morning as the people of God is this. Won't you receive his peace? Receive the peace of God this morning. And, and, and this, this right here might be the best Christmas gift you receive this season. The transcendent peace of God. You know what good news this is for you and for me. That there is a God who offers us his peace every single day of our lives. Do you know that the peace of God never runs out? He never runs at a deficit. He never goes into the red when, it, when, when we're talking about the peace of God that is offered to us. He offers his peace every single day of our lives so that we don't have to be ruled by our anxieties. We don't have to be ruled by our fears. We don't have to be ruled by things like our worries, our insecurities, our doubts, our concerns about our future, our frustrations about our present. We don't have to be overwhelmed by the pressures and the burdens that weigh us down. We don't have to be ruled by any of those things, but rather we can be ruled by the Prince of Peace, King Jesus. And the invitation to you, friends, is this. Won't you receive his peace here today? And it's very simply this, to just come before your heavenly Father and say, Oh God, I acknowledge that I've tried to find that peace in all kinds of places, but today, this morning, I come to you as the greatest offerer of peace. I come to you, and I just I want to look for that peace in you. God, won't you offer your peace to me? 
fresh and anew once again here today in the person of Jesus. I receive your peace. Receive his peace. That's the message of Christmas. Peace has come to you. Heaven has come to you. And when we do all of that, when we figure out how to make our lives more about the glory of God, and when we become people who regularly receive the peace of God on a daily, regular basis, when we do that, oh, church, may the song that has begun over 2,000 years ago on a shepherd's field continue in our hearts today. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased.